This podcast series from Teacher Magazine is supported by SSO, Subject Selection Online, one easy platform for your subject selections. Let SSO handle the checks and challenges for you, extracting pristine data to upload into your timetabling software. Try SSO today at subjectselectiononline.com.au. Thank you for downloading this podcast from Teacher Magazine. I'm Jo Earp. A new Australian study by a team of academics from the University of Newcastle and Western Sydney University investigates the occupational and educational aspirations of Indigenous school students. The findings have been published in the Australian Journal of Education and lead author Professor Jenny Gore is my guest today in this episode of The Research Files. Professor Jenny Gore, welcome to The Research Files. Now, your research paper uh, with colleagues in the Australian Journal of Education, that investigates the career and educational aspirations of Indigenous students. So who was involved in this study? The study was looking at uh, school students in New South Wales government schools, about 64 schools across the state. And uh, we had... Uh, 6,400 and something students uh, involved in the study over a four-year period between 2012 and 2015. Mm -hmm. So this is a longitudinal uh, study. Now, where where does this sit in terms of the previous research? This one, for example, I noticed this includes primary school age data, doesn't it? Yes, all of uh, the research we've been doing on aspirations since uh, the beginning of 2012 was with students uh, in primary and high school and in fact the longitudinal design was such that we had students in years three, five, seven and nine at the beginning of the study in the first year and so at the very end of the study they were in uh, six, eight, ten and twelve. Um, so effectively over the course of the four years we have students in every year of schooling from year three to year twelve. Mm-hmm. Now, as I mentioned, uh, it investigates career and educational aspirations of Indigenous students, this particular paper that you've published. Um, so what did you ask the students? Uh, two fairly simple questions, really. Um, for the primary school students, they were asked what they wanted to be when they grew up, um, which is a common question that kids <laughs> are asked by parents and grandparents and family friends and things. Um, and then for the secondary students, mindful that um, many of them don't necessarily go straight into uh, a particular job. They go on to, you know, some take gap years, some um, do a TAFE course or something first, others go straight into university and so on. We ask them what kind of work they'd like to be doing when they're 25 years old. So just a little bit beyond, you know, the end of perhaps um, doing an undergraduate degree. So that was how we got at occupational aspirations. And in terms of educational aspirations, we just asked them what was the highest level of education they planned to complete. And um, for primary school students, it was a a narrower set of choices, high school, TAFE, university, and I don't know. For the secondary students, it was a little bit um, more detailed in terms of postgraduate study and things as well, but we collapsed it into those four key categories for this particular analysis. Mm-hmm. So uh, an awful lot of data there to analyse. Um, what were what some of the key findings? There's some really interesting stuff coming out of this, isn't there, uh, around aspiration, I suppose, that word. <laughs> yeah, 
I mean, you know, everything needs to be problematized in a way. It's tricky to do this kind of research methodologically and every construct can be examined, you know, what do we mean by aspirations and so on. But for this particular analysis, we looked at the 432 Indigenous students we had in the sample and um, those students generated over 660 surveys. So we were comparing the Indigenous student survey responses with the non-Indigenous student survey responses in particular. And what we found, uh, first of all, that I think was, was interesting was that the aspirations of Indigenous and non-Indigenous students were very similar when it came to occupational interests. So we had uh, students you know, in both of those demographic groups um, you know, wanting to be, for instance, among the boys, sports and fitness workers and Defence Force members were the top two categories of interest, um, whether it was Indigenous or non-Indigenous students. And among the girls, arts professional or school teacher were the top two choices um, for Indigenous and non-Indigenous girls. And what we found, in fact, was that the uh, gender was a much bigger determinant of occupational interest than was indigeneity. Um, there were a few categories within the top 10 most popular occupations that differed for Indigenous and non-Indigenous students, but there was way more overlap than there was difference. And, and in terms of the aspirations, or I think it termed it as a desire, desire to go to university, or um, what did he find though? Yeah, so uh, this was, I think, the most striking finding from the analysis. So what I was just talking about was occupational aspirations. When it came to education, meaning did they plan to, for instance, go on to university, we looked at uh, a number of variables, and one of them was um, prior achievement using NAPLAN data. And what we found was that in the three lowest, three lower, I should say, NAPLAN quartiles, Indigenous and non-Indigenous students planned to go to university at roughly the same rate. Mm -hmm. But when it came to the highest achievement quartile, if you like, the students who have the greatest possibility of easily making it into university, um, there was a really stark difference between Indigenous and non-Indigenous students. It was 73%, I think, of the non-Indigenous students in the highest quartile planned to go to university but only 42% of the highest achieving Indigenous students. So what we talk about a bit in the paper is that while university was possible for these students, it was less desirable among the Indigenous high achieving students. And that's, a, I think, a pretty important uh, finding and has implications both for um, people in schools but also for people in universities who are trying to, to encourage Indigenous students to consider university education as a, a pathway following school. Yeah, you mentioned there about the, the implications. I'm just thinking uh, really it's, it's that language, isn't it, of, uh, you know, there's a lot of discussion around aspiration and uh, desirability. It never really seems to come into the discussion or it hasn't. Um, Presumably, it will do after after your findings. Well, I think it's. I mean, people uh, certainly have talked about these kinds of issues before. You know, should everybody aspire to go to university? It's not mm -hmm. the be all and end all, that's for sure. And those of us who spend our lives in universities know um, that there's more to life. Um, so it's not about wanting to um, suggest that everybody should aspire to university. But I think. 
um, that issue of desirability among Indigenous students um, just signals how different it is for many, not all of course, but for many Indigenous kids to imagine themselves at university and imagine their futures. And I think that you know, there, are, there are clear um, issues around a kind of a, a different experience based on race that Indigenous students have in schooling and as they think about higher education. You know, there are fewer uh, Indigenous students in higher ed, even though there have been gains in recent years in terms of the number of Indigenous people coming into universities. And so to imagine yourself there um, means taking a risk in a way that is perhaps very different for non-Indigenous students a risk in terms of being fairly isolated, uh, a risk in terms of distancing yourself from your own family and community. Uh, and so it's, I think, really important to explore what's going on there and how universities might have to um, change a little bit to better support uh, those students who have enormous potential to succeed in university but um, you just don't see that it's perhaps the right place for them. And I mean, universities have for many years, um, in most cases, done a wonderful job of setting up uh, support units within universities for Indigenous students. At Newcastle, for instance, we have the Wallatuka Institute, which um, offers a really wonderful space for Indigenous staff and students to, to gather and to do important work, uh, both in, in terms of um, teaching and research, uh, but also in terms of providing institutional leadership and guidance and, and really providing a home as well for Indigenous people. But despite that, um, you know, that's a kind of almost an enclave, a, a safe haven. Um, it's the rest of the institution that needs to perhaps um, be a bit more accommodating for um, the specific uh, experiences that Indigenous students face at university. I think when it comes to school and schooling, um, we also need to think about how we can better support students who have that potential to go to university if that's what they want to do. And I think from some of the other research that we're doing, we have the sense that teachers actually underestimate their influence. You know, the, the small words that a teacher says in passing sometimes about, you know, you'd be great at something or uh, mm, I don't think that's suitable for you or, you know, I can't wait to see your brilliant career unfold in this particular area or whatever. But those, those little, sometimes almost throwaway lines from teachers can have profound influence on students and what they think is possible and, and how they see themselves. And so I think... Um, you know, if there's anything that we would suggest um, teachers need to do, I think they, they do need to be very mindful of um, the messages they convey to students about what's possible. I think teachers would also benefit from having access to some of the, the key concepts in the literature on aspirations. There's the idea of the capacity to aspire, for instance, um, uh, you know, which says that people have um, different <laughs> capacity to aspire that's linked with kind of um, social capital and cultural capital that is accessible to them. So not just Indigenous students, but for example, first-in-family students don't have access to the same stock of knowledge um, about what it means to go to university as um, students whose you know, perhaps parents 
already have uh, a university degree and have that experience. So helping teachers to understand some of those concepts I think is a second uh, way in which teachers might play a role. And then a third one I think is really to help teachers just de develop a little bit more knowledge about contemporary higher education um, you know, information and options and pathways. I think that many of us who became teachers you know, things were a bit different perhaps in the higher education when we trained to be teachers and just understanding how the student loan system works, understanding that students you know, don't have to put up a whole lot of upfront money in order to study and so on. Um, it's important that teachers have accurate information so that when students ask them about or, or talk about, you know, I couldn't go to university, perhaps um, there's the option then for teachers to say, well, actually, did you know? Um, that although of course it will take some money to be able to afford the textbooks and all the other things, there are uh, options for you know that can really support people with less economic resources to make it to university. Mm -hmm. Now, um, just finally, then, uh, uni colleagues have done quite a bit of research around student career choices, and uh, we've reported on those findings previously uh, in Teacher Magazine. Um, in, in those previous studies, you've pointed out that most careers education here in Australia is delivered in secondary schools, so roughly, I think, around year 10 for most. Um, but your research shows students are actually fairly clear, aren't they? Well, they're very clear about the aspirations and the possible careers that they, that they might want to go into much earlier than that. So is that something you'd be advocating, more of a shift in, in when we introduce careers ed? Mm. I think we have to really be cautious about pushing kids into making choices too early as well. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's a little bit challenging. Um, but I do think uh, it's not so much that kids make clear choices early on, but um, Gottfriedson, who's a well-known uh, theorist in this space, she talked about how kids circumscribe and compromise as they consider careers that might be possible for them. And so what happens, I think, is that kids at quite a young age can start to say, well, that kind of job is impossible for me. Um, and it can happen in both directions. There are stu students who live in some of the very wealthy suburbs where we've um, studied their aspirations who can't imagine not going to university and who can't imagine being anything other than a doctor or a lawyer because that's what people in their world and their community um, are engaged in. At the other end, though, you've got kids perhaps who come from less advantaged backgrounds who um, very early on say, well, people like us don't go to university. People like us can't do those kinds of work. So rather than necessarily move careers education into primary schools, if it was in primary schools, it would have to look quite different. But mm -hmm. it's about keeping options open for kids and helping them to see you know, the range of careers that are out there and helping them to understand what kinds of educational pathways you need to pursue in order to um, get to certain uh, career um, you know, futures. Because one of the other things we've discovered in the research, um, not so much published yet, is that there's a fair bit of misalignment between students' university aspirations and their educational aspirations. So that we have students who want to be hairdressers but want to go to university, and we have students who want to be surgeons but think they will achieve that by going to TAFE. Um, you know, so you know, there's room for students to be better informed about the whole education 
pathway and journey because mostly in school kids know in primary school that there's this thing called high school and kids in high school you know eventually come to learn something about TAFE and, and university but there's there's a lot of um, detail that they just don't have access to and, and you know that's where I think teachers and universities can provide better support. Mm -hmm. So broadening those horizons and keeping options open and uh, helping them make informed uh, choices, I guess. Um, well, it's yeah. been fascinating speaking to you today. Thanks ever so much for sharing your work with the research files. An absolute pleasure. Thanks, Joe. That's all for this episode. To keep listening or to download all of our podcasts for free, visit acer.ac forward slash teacher iTunes or www.soundcloud.com forward slash teacher hyphen acer. You can also check out the full transcript of this podcast and related reading at www.teachermagazine.com.au where of course you can also access the latest articles, videos and infographics. This podcast series from Teacher Magazine is supported by SSO, Subject Selection Online, one easy platform for your subject selections. Let SSO handle the checks and challenges for you extracting pristine data to upload into your timetabling software. Try SSO today at subjectselectiononline.com.au.